Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. How many of you are glad to be done with Cain and Abel? Somebody told me this morning, it's like, man, that was the longest series. How could you stay on one chapter for so long? And I'm like, well, sin is a big topic, and it's not easy to really tackle. And uh, so the fourth chapter of Genesis was five weeks long. We're going to be doing four weeks on Samson. Samson takes up about three chapters in Judges, which is in the Old Testament. And a lot of you have been asking me too, well, why are we staying in the Old Testament? Aren't we people of the New Testament, the New Covenant? Yes, we are. But also, we also learn from the Old Testament. And the Old Testament stories are timeless in their nature and in their essence of truth. And there's a lot we can learn in that timeless truth for today, even though it may have been written some 2,500 years ago or more. So we look in Judges chapter 14, which we'll be turning to in a minute, but if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, that'd be great. We've been doing this series this whole year, this theme of love, and this theme of love is tied to 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13, specifically verses 4 through 7, which says, love is patient, love is kind, it's not rude or self-seeking, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, etc., etc., etc. You can read that on your own. We come to the definition of love in this month's theme, or in this month's series on Samson, that love is not boastful or proud. How many of you struggle with boasting or, or with pride? A couple of you, and, and the rest of you probably do, and you just don't want to raise your hands, and that's okay, because guess what? That is something that is common to most people. We don't like always to admit when we're wrong. Have you ever fought tooth and nail to be right, only to find out that you're wrong, but you don't want to admit it, because then that means you're admitting that you were wrong? Okay, I didn't think so. So, I came up with this illustration, and I think I've actually read this illustration to you before or used it before, but I thought it was good enough to do a second time, so bear with me on this. A young woman asked for an appointment with her pastor to talk with them about this besetting sin about which she was worried. She had this sin that she couldn't shake, and she was so concerned that living in this sin was going to condemn her to hell. What was she going to do. So she made it a point with, the, with her pastor. And when she saw him, when she met him in the office, she said, Pastor, I have become aware of a sin in my life which I cannot control. Every time I'm at church, I begin to look around at the other women and I realize that I'm the prettiest one in the whole congregation. None of the others can compare with my beauty. What can I do about this sin, Pastor? To which he says, Mary, it's not a sin, it's just a mistake. <laughs> which ended the conversation with her pastor very quickly. She moved on to the next church, as more people are prone to do. When they don't get the answer they want from their pastor. So, 
what about this series on Samson? How was Samson prideful? We're going to be looking, like I said, Judges 14, 15, and 16 over the next four weeks. And we're going to be looking at these stages of development in Samson's life. We come upon this picture of Samson or this theme, or excuse me, this scene on Samson's life where he, um, he is a young man. Uh, probably a young adult, much like several of you who are here this morning. And, and he has been dealt this hand from birth that he was to be a Nazarite. Let me back up a little bit. He's the son of a guy by the name of Manoah. Not Noah, Manoah. And Manoah's wife. We don't get the name of Samson's mother. We just hear that she is Manoah's wife. Well, she would go to the temple to pray. And when she went to the temple to pray, or excuse me, not the temple, the synagogue to pray, or to the local place, the, the uh, tabernacle to pray, the priest would see her. She was praying. Why was she praying? She was praying because she was barren. What does it mean to be barren? It means she couldn't have kids. They tried, they tried. Manoah loved her in spite of her being unable to bear children for him. But this priest notices her, <clears throat> comes to her, and basically tells her, don't worry about it, God has heard your prayer, uh, you'll bear a son. But here's what you're to do with this, son. And when you're pregnant... You're not to drink alcohol. We know that today anyway. It's a good health thing, right? Because there are things that can happen to a baby in utero when you drink alcohol. But it wasn't for that purpose. She wasn't to drink alcohol. She wasn't to go near a dead body, whether it was a human or an animal. And that was to be the terms of the agreement for her to have this kid. Because the baby in her, Samson, was to be a Nazarite from birth. Well, what's a Nazarite? I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. A Nazarite was somebody specifically set apart for a specific work. So consider this to kind of lay the story down a little bit. Samson is born as a Nazarite. He doesn't get a choice. From birth, he used to be a Nazarite. How many of you would like to be told what you're going to be from birth. Some of you find comfort in that. Finally, good. I, but some of us are like, well, what if I don't want to? What if I don't want to do that? What if I don't want to take over the family business? What if I don't want to become a doctor like my dad or my mom? What if I don't want to be a lawyer or this or that? What if I don't want to be a school teacher? But he didn't have that opportunity. And what we see in Samson's life is him pushing back against this. And also using it to his advantage, too. So let's look at the story, starting with Judges chapter 14. We pick up the story today. Again, he's a young man. He's strutting this stuff. He's strapping. He's strong. He's probably a handsome-looking guy. And there are enemies of God's people living in the land of Canaan. Now, why do we have judges? Well, the judges were to rule the land, not as kings, but rather as people who were to hold the, the, law, the law of Moses and the law of God in high esteem, and they were to judge the people based on the law of God. God was the king of his people before there was an earthly king. But the land was ruled by judges who interpreted the law of Moses and made judgments. They were also considered the priest, 
the high priest, if you will, but they were also considered the military, uh, uh, the height of military, so uh, commander-in-chief, if you will. So Samuel now has risen to the height of judge, and he's out one day, young strapping man, and he was in Timnah. Timnah is a location where the Philistines lived. They were the enemies of the Israelites. One of the Philistine women, however, in that location caught his eye. Let me pause there for a minute. They were not to intermarry with pagan cultures. The Israelites were not, even in the day of the judges. But this Philistine woman caught his eye. And when he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Go get her for me. Parents, how would, you, how would you feel about your kids telling you to do something for them? Like, you do it, mom and dad, right now. A little few groans, right? Now, why would Samson even go to his mom and dad? Because we live in a culture, if you love the one you're with, whoever you want to be with, shack up with them. Sorry, did I step across the line? Okay, sorry about, no, I'm not sorry about that. We're not supposed to do that. But why did he go to mom and dad? Well, in that culture, it was customary to do this. It was customary to go to the parents, and the parents were to strike a deal with the parents of the other the other spouse, potential spouse. Call it a dowry or whatever. So he went to his mom and dad and said, I found this woman. She's a Philistine. I want you to go strike up a deal with her mom and dad so that I can marry her. That was the cultural norm of the day. But his father and mother objected. Isn't there a woman? Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites you could marry? Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me! Exclamation point. She looks good to me. (laughs) Now, you read the Hebrew and it's like, she's a hottie. Actually, it doesn't translate that way, but it's pretty much that idea. Is get her for me, she looks really good. If you know what I mean, wink, wink. Get her for me. She looks good to me. His father and mother didn't realize that the Lord was at work in this, uh, in this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at the time. Now we say, whoa, 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 God was in the middle of all this? Well, here's what we know about God is that he works good out of bad. It's not that he was orchestrating this. Samson was orchestrating this, but he knew, God knew that he could work something good out of this even when Samson wasn't following God's dictates. Does that give us license then to do whatever we want because we know God's going to work it for our good? No. But God was going to work this for the good, and this is a foreshadowing of those events. As Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, so they're going to make this deal with this Philistine family, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah, At that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. He did it as easily as if it were a young goat, but he didn't tell his father and mother about it. When Samson arrived in Timnah, he talked with the woman and was very pleased with her. So this woman that caught his eye, he wants to marry, he actually now is talking with her, 
and, and it's even better than he thought it would be. She's not only good looking, he enjoys her company. And so mom and dad work out the deal. They had home. Here's the custom in that, in that tradition. You become betrothed to a woman. If you're a guy, there's a betrothal period. What is a betrothal period? It's like an engagement in our day and age. You were in essence married. You were committed to one another. The process of marriage has begun, but the young man will go back home and prepare a place for his wife. So he's living with mom and dad, but now he's going to go home and he's going to build on to the family complex in the family area, a space or a house. That sounds so familiar, doesn't it? John chapter 14, I'm going to be leaving, but I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Jesus is the bridegroom and we are the bride. He's preparing our place for us. But I digress. That's not a part of the story. He was speaking language to the people so they would understand. But when you understand the Old Testament, you understand the richer context of the meaning and the words of the New Testament. So Samson has to go back home and prepare a place for this woman he is now betrothed to, this Philistine woman. And about a year later, he comes back, which is verse 8. Later, when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion. Now, he turned off the path to go to, next to the vineyards when he was on his way there the first time because his mom and dad obviously weren't with him because it says he didn't tell his mom and dad about it. If they were right there with him next to the vineyards of Timnah, they would have seen what he did and would have known everything about it. But he didn't tell them that he killed this lion next to the vineyards of Timnah. Now they're on their way back to marry. He's on his way back to marry this, this Philistine woman in Timnah. And he's like, Hey, mom and dad, hang a minute. I'm going to go over here. Just no, you wait here. I mean, that's what's going on with the text. He breaks back off and he wants to go see where he killed this lion. And this is where we pick up the story again. What he finds as he turns off the path to look at the carcass of the lion is a swarm of bees <coughs> had made some honey in the carcass. It's a year later. The body has decomposed pretty greatly. And in the carcass, more than likely the, the rib cage area, bees, a swarm of bees had built, had built um, a honeycomb, if you will. He scooped some of the honey in his hands. He ate it along the way. He also gave some to his mother and father, and they ate it. But he didn't tell them that he had taken the honey from the carcass of a lion. You're saying, what's the big deal? I don't tell my mom and dad everything I do. I've... Think back, those of you whose parents have grown, or whose parents have grown, you've grown, your parents are older, or they've passed on. <laughs> are there some things you didn't tell your mom and dad growing up? There are some things that my mom, my mom listens to these sermons, and she hears some of the stories. She's like, I didn't know you did that. She said that this past week when I was visiting with her, and mom, I love you, in case you're listening to this online. So, but... How many of you have not told your parents everything you've done? You think, well, what's the big deal? Why does the author of this passage tell us that he does? Why does he even make note of that? Everybody does it. What's the big deal? We're going to find out what the big deal is in a minute. So not only does he not tell his parents, he tore the jaws apart on this lion and left it for dead. On his way back a year later, he breaks off the course, goes and finds this dead carcass of a lion that has bees and honey inside of it, takes some of it. He's like, yum, yum, goes back to mom and dad and says, here, have a bite. 
And specifically, we're told he doesn't tell his mom and dad that he took the honey from the carcass of the lion. So what? As his father was making final arrangements for the marriage, Samson threw a party in Timnah, as was the custom for the elite young men. When the bride's parents saw him, they selected 30 young men from the town to be his companions. So Samson came without, without groomsmen. It was customary for the men to have a league of men with them to celebrate and to be kind of his guardians during that time period for the wedding. But these men were not companions. They were basically paid companions. Hey, you guys want to be this Israelite's companion just for the period of the wedding? I mean, he didn't bring any of his own. So this is the scenario that's being set. And so the Philistine family gives him 30 men as companions for like a bachelor party, to hang out, to do whatever. When the bride's parents saw him, they selected 30 young men from the town to be his companions. Samson said to them, let me tell you a riddle. If you solve my riddle during these seven days of the celebration, I will give you 30 fine linen robes and 30 sets of festive clothing. That is a lot of money. That's a lot of money worth of linen garments. But if you can't solve it, then you must give me 30 fine linen robes and 30 sets of festive clothing. So they agreed. Let's hear your riddle. So he says this riddle to them, which was customary in the time of Samson. You said a riddle, and, and it was just kind of a fun pastime to do. And he says this riddle, out of one who eats came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Three days later, they were still trying to figure it out. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, this was during the wedding celebration. The festivities had begun. The marriage had happened. And they are celebrating these seven days. They come to Samson's wife. And they say, entice your husband to explain the riddle for us. Or we will burn down your father's house with you in it. <laughs> okay. What are you going to do? Did you invite us to the party so you could make us poor? So Samson's wife came to him with tears and said, You don't love me. You hate me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't given the answer to my father and mother, he replied. Why should I tell you? So, he cried, so she cried whenever she was with him and kept it up for the rest of the celebration. Great honeymoon. You hate me. Why? Because she's afraid that her house is going to get burnt down with her in it. She thinks her life's at stake. At last, on the seventh day, he told her the answer because she was tormenting him with her nagging. <laughs> hey, you cannot make this stuff up. I'm telling you, the Bible is the best place to get the most drama that you want to read about. There's no Harlequin romance or Netflix or, or anything else out there that's going to, I can't compare. This stuff is the real deal. Then she explained the riddle to the young men. So she finds out the answer to the riddle. She goes to the young men 
She tells them the answer. So before sunset on the seventh day, the time is ticking. The men of the town came to Samson with the answer. Well, what's sweeter than honey? And what's stronger than a lion? And Samson says one of the most crass lines in all of scripture. If you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have solved my riddle. Let me take a side note. (laughs) Heifer in that day and age was just as insulting as it is to call a woman a heifer in this day and age. Okay? That's the timeless quality of scripture. (laughs) Do not call a woman, especially your wife, a heifer. (laughs) It will get you in big, big trouble. But Samson was pretty ticked off. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have solved my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went to the town of Eshkelon and killed 30 men, took their belongings, gave their clothing to the men who had solved this riddle. But Samson was furious about what had happened, and he went back home to live with his father and mother. So his wife was given in marriage to the man who had been Samson's best man at the wedding. (laughs) We'll get to that part next week. So if you want to find out what happens next, you'll have to come to that. But this is about Samson and the lion, not next week, Samson and the foxes. So he's married to this woman. The celebration has happened, and he goes back home furious. And so the the dad of the girl from Timnah gives her to the best man. What's the key point this morning? The key point is this. Pride leads to deception. Let me say that again. What does pride lead to? Deception. When you have pride in your life, it will always lead to deception. Whether you're deceiving yourself, deceiving somebody else, or thinking you're deceiving God. Who knows all, sees all, hears all, and is aware of everything. Pride will always lead to deception. promise you this. Pride will always lead to deception. Now, how does this play out in this context today with Samson? Well, what's the first thing Samson does? He sees a woman. She looks good to him. He wants his parents to go set up this deal with this Philistine family, to have this Philistine woman as his wife. On the way, what does he do? He breaks off the course. He's near the vineyards of Timnah. Why is that significant? Why is it significant that the lion attacked him? Let's look at this real quick. What did I tell you he was from birth? What was Samson from birth? He was a Nazarite. As a Nazarite, what was the Nazarite vow that you were to take if you were going to be a Nazarite? The one set apart for exclusively God's work. The first thing is you had to abstain from drinking or eating from the fruit of the grapevine or any strong drink. So no alcohol at all, zero And you couldn't even eat grapes or raisins, even if they weren't fermented. No fruit from the vine of grapes, right? And no strong drink whatsoever. That was the first thing. It means this freedom from the influences of those things that would render us weak or lacking control of our faculties. The Nazarite was to be in full control of their faculties at all times. Number two. 
They were forbidden to approach a dead body, even the dead body of a loved one at a funeral service or anything like that. The Nazarite was not allowed to, they weren't allowed to touch a dead body, but they also were not allowed to even go near a dead body of an animal, a human, or even a family member. This, this, this idea is that they would have freedom from contamination with everything connected with death or corruption. That was part of the Nazarite vow. And number three, they were to abstain from cutting their hair. Think back to the 70s and 80s. <laughs> I had long hair in college in the 90s, um, and I was one of those surfer dude cuts. So I was pretty cool because I had hair then, and I'm losing it here. Uh, but I was pretty awesome. But I remember going to my home church in Danville, Kentucky, and coming back with long hair and earrings. Ugh. And I was scolded by the senior citizens of my church who loved me, and I loved them in return. And they're like, well, do I need to get you bobby pins for your hair? What are you, a girl now? All right. If you were a Nazarite... You were not allowed to cut your hair. Think of the men who were Nazarites from birth that weren't allowed to cut their hair. Think of now Samson, a young adult. How long must his hair have been? <laughs> Do you need bobby pants, Samson? <laughs> you know, I mean, if he was in my home church in Danville, Kentucky, he, he might have had to have them. But... They weren't to cut their hair. Why weren't they to cut their hair? Well, it, it, this idea of not cutting your hair was, was this, this vision or this symbol of vitality and strength. It was this outward sign of being consecrated to the Lord. So men with very long hair that didn't drink alcohol, especially from the vine of uh, the grapevine, uh, and, and also who didn't approach any dead body whatsoever would have stood out as a Nazarite. They were kind of, you could pick them out in a crowd. This is what Samson was. Now, let's go back to the story. Samson is on his way to Timna with his mom and dad, and what's going on? Well, he stops off and goes to the vineyards of Timna. What grows in a vineyard? Now, we don't know if he grabbed any grapes off the mine, but what was he even doing near? temptation in being close to grapes think about that secondly while he's there what happens a lion is waiting in am to ambush him and jumps out now the spirit of the lord came greatly on him he tore that thing apart by the jaws pretty painful killed it right there and then he goes back as if nothing ever happens. Wouldn't you be telling that story? Like, you go, you gotta get, the, look what happened, mom, dad. I killed a lion with my bare hands. Yo, yo, I mean, he's got this power and strength. We get this idea that he is not only strong, he's divinely strong. But he doesn't tell his parents about it. Why? He's not even supposed to be there. He's not even supposed to be near a dead body, but he made a dead body happen. 
Well, what was he to do? You're thinking. The lion, what was he just going to stand there like this and let the lion attack him? No, he had to do something. Well, what if he wasn't there in the first place? And there is where the application comes into play for us. Because there are many times where we go to places we know we shouldn't go. We do things we shouldn't do. We get as close to that line as we possibly can without violating our vow to God. Because we want to know, God, how far can I go and still remain safe in your will? And you know, God says, I don't want you to go anywhere near that. When you see that stuff, when you're around that, don't even go to the place to be tempted. It's like an alcoholic going into a bar. Why would you do that? Well, I'm, I'm not going to drink, but you're right there. Why would you do it? Or it's somebody who's, who's struggling with the addiction to pornography, still having internet in their home. Why? It's the same thing as an alcoholic going into a bar. You're right there on the precipice. Why would you even put that stuff right next to you? Now, those are extremes and those are addictions, but what about the small stuff? Or what we would consider small stuff that God considers big stuff. What about gossip? How close can we go to that edge to tell stories about everybody else and still be in the realm of God's perfection? Well, I could turn it into a prayer request, and then it wouldn't be gossip. (laughs) That's what I'll do. And it'll be right next to the edge. And God says, no, 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 no. That's not what I want you to do. I want you to be fully and completely. Why do you look? Here's the problem. When we look for loopholes in God's commands, where's our heart? It's not with God. It's with us. It's getting what I want when I want it, how I want it. Samson's doing this. He's going to the vineyards of Timnah. We don't know if he eats any of the grapes. We don't know if he drinks any of the wine because you know there's probably a wine press close by. What's he doing there? And while he's there, there's a lion crouching. And listen to what 1 Peter says. Stay alert. Watch out. Your great enemy, the devil, he prowls like a lion, like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. When we step off of where God would want us to be, when we step out of the vows we've made to God as believers in Christ, and I'm speaking specifically to the church this morning, what happens? The enemy will be right there next to that line, ready to pounce at a given notice. And it's our pride that gets us to that edge, thinking, I can withstand this temptation, I can overcome. Why would you want to tempt fate by going to places or doing things you know you shouldn't do just because you think you can withstand it in your own strength? You're tempting fate. You're tempting the enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Stand firm against the devil and stand strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are, if not more. The second thing we notice is Samson took honey from the carcass of a dead lion and gave some to his parents. 
So the first one was Samson killed a lion with his bare hands and didn't tell his parents. But Samson then goes back a year later, and he still doesn't tell his parents. What does Samson do? Second time around. He goes back. What do you think is his motivation? Samson killed a lion with his bare hands. Woohoo! Killed a lion with his bare hands. Look what I did. You're almost a year later. I'm going to go back. Let me see. Let me see what I did. Pat myself. Look at this. Look what I did. And I conquered. Woohoo! See, sometimes when we get close to the edge, when we get close to that edge, and we get pulled away from it, just like that, thinking, oh, we've escaped it. Woohoo! It could have been really bad, but, but it didn't happen. Sometimes we go back to it again to pat ourselves on the back. Look what I did. I'm all that. And we gloat and we boast, even if it's just in our own self-centeredness. We may not boast to anybody else, but we have this sense of pride. Look at the mighty works of my hands. And there the carcass lay of the dead lion that he had killed nearly a year earlier. And not only that, God God must have blessed me. There's honey there. I can eat honey. This must be a blessing from God. And you know what the enemy does in the midst of those moments of pride is he makes something look so good and like a blessing from God when it's really just from him the great deceiver. And our pride blinds us to the truth and the reality of the dead carcass that we're toying around with. Have you ever been blinded to truth because of your own pride? I have. Pride comes before the fall. You've heard that before. And the fall from pride is hard. And it's painful. The church in our culture, and I would even say somewhat globally, but specifically in the American culture, is in a, is in a fight for its life. Why? Because you have people like me who stand on stages across this nation and thousands of churches who think that they are above reproach and they can do pretty much anything they want to. That nobody's ever going to question what they're doing. And so in the darkness of night or in the darkness of certain moments, they violate the principles and the teachings of God by molesting kids, by being unfaithful to their spouses, by embezzling money from the church treasury, by any number of things because they've allowed pride to convince them that they can get away with pretty much anything and they're going to be okay. Nobody will be the wiser and I'll get what I want because not only have I gone right to that line, I've stepped over it and I've still not had any consequences. But I'm telling you, eventually you'll be found out. Pride comes before the fall, and the fall is hard. And not only does it leave a blight on the individual, it leaves a blight on the church for the rest of the world to see. And what happens to the church in that regard? It becomes a mockery 
to the culture and the world around it. See, you're no better than we are. Why should we listen to your message? And we wonder why we get called hypocrites. It's because not only pastors, but the people pastors lead have given into the mindset that I can skirt and skate as close to the edge or even step beyond it. God's still going to love me. He's still going to forgive me, and I'll be none, nothing, will, nothing will happen. And you've allowed pride to get in the way. And we violate God's teachings and God's commands over and over and over again, having been convinced by the deception of the enemy that we're okay. And then when you have a pastor or somebody else that stands on stage or works in a Bible study group or this one-on-one mentoring, it says, no, you're living in sin. You need to stop. This is separating you from God. You're like, well, you can't judge me. You ever heard that? You ever said that? Because you didn't like the truth that was being told you. Because pride doesn't like truth. Pride will always avoid truth. Because pride wants to believe that it's right no matter what. And when I'm a person of pride, then I allow the truth to be pushed into the background and I can, I can believe whatever I want. And I can justify whatever sin I want in my life and whatever behavior I want to be a part of in my life. I can justify that until I'm blue in the face. But is it right? No. I see too many churches and too many pastors and too many leaders in the church saying we've got to reach the culture, so we've got to tame down the gospel. We've got to tame down the message. We don't want it to be offensive. We need, we need people to come in. We don't want to offend people and them leave. The question I would have is, well, what did Jesus do? Jesus amassed these large crowds, these large followings, and there were moments in his teachings with them where he said, listen, are you willing to do this? Because if you're not willing to do this, then you can't be my follower. And there were some really hard truths that Jesus spoke to the crowds, and they had to evaluate, am I willing to do that or am I not? Because if I'm not, then I need to go back home. And a lot of times, those thousands upon thousands of people that would follow Jesus, when he would turn to the crowds and speak to them and tell them these hard truths, you know what would happen? They wouldn't say, amen, brother. They would hightail it back home. because No, no, no. We signed up for the free stuff. We signed up for the healings. Boy, you're pretty cool. We, uh, he healed my brother's sister's ankle. <laughs> he, made, he made my neighbor who was blind to see again. I want that. You can't have that unless you're willing to make sacrifices. And that's what Jesus is saying. Listen, to follow me is not an easy thing. Are you willing and able to go where I go and to do what I do? If you're willing and able, then I'll, I'll let you, you come along with me. But it's not going to be easy because you're going to be hated because they hate me. You're not going to be loved because they don't really love me. They're going to persecute you the way they persecute me. And many of you will die for my sake if you decide to follow me all the way. And for a lot of us, we're too willing to go only so far but not all the way with Jesus. 
See, this is a problem with the church in our culture. We have a lot of Samsons in our midst. They've believed that they can do whatever, whenever, with whomever, and get away with it. But they leave a wake of destruction in their path. They toy with other people's emotions. They, they break a, a relationships. They, they damage what they touch, all because it's about them rather than about him. He took a Nazarite vow. Yes, he was a Nazarite from birth. Did he have a choice? No. And what we see unfolding here is probably this rebellion against that. But he doesn't realize the gift he's been given. And you and I don't always realize the gift we've been given in Christ Jesus who gives us freedom and hope and love and forgiveness and grace. And he gives us truth. He helps us to see beyond the cloud of deception that we find ourselves in a lot. When we are connected with him, he helps us to rise above that. But he says it's going to take time, it's going to take effort, and it's not going to be easy. But trust me, I'm with you every step of the way. But when we do things in our own strength, and our own power, we might have a level of success, but not a level of eternal success. The last thing we know about this is, and about Samson's situation is his wife nagged him to the point of despair in order to know the secret to his riddle. When we are prideful and boastful, what tends to happen is we get weaker instead of stronger. We can get easily worn down. When we are prideful and are focused on the self, then we rely on the self's strength rather than on God's strength. And it doesn't take much for the prideful person to be worn down to the point of spilling everything. Okay, fine, I'll tell you my riddle. Just stop whining and nagging. How many of us parents have done that? Fine, you can have the extra cookie, just stop. And if you haven't gotten to that point, you will. <laughs> just come on, please, please, please. A person who is driven by pride will always be worn down eventually and always be exposed, and they'll suffer the consequences for that exposure. But a person who is not driven by pride, but is driven by Christ and the Holy Spirit, who is centered in humility, can never be worn down. You see, Jesus gives us this illustration, this parable of, of two houses. One built on sand, one built on solid rock. What happens when the storms and the waves and all the winds come and they begin to beat on the house that's set on sand? The relentless, perpetual beating of the waves, the wind, and everything for the house that's built on sand will eventually wither away what little foundation is there, and the house comes crumbling down. See, that's what pride does. But for the one who is founded and rooted on the rock of Jesus Christ, his truth, his ways, his love, no matter what hits against the foundation or the sides of that house, 
it'll continue to stay strong. When the winds come, the waves come, the storms of life come, they can remain planted and firmly rooted because they humbly know that their strength doesn't come from what's built on top, but what they're built on top of. Does this make sense? When we're founded on Christ and rooted in Christ, we can withstand whatever problems come our way. I fear that many of us have built our houses on shifting sands. You can't survive on shifting sands. Samson was building on shifting sand. We would eventually, and we will eventually this month, see Samson's pride becoming his downfall. And it becomes very desperate, very hopeless for him. But we'll also see Samson's redemption if you stick in there with us for the next few weeks. Let me close with this. Anyone who travels to Edinburgh, Scotland will find uh, this castle in Edinburgh, a castle tower of seemingly insurmountable strength. But the truth is the castle, the castle was once captured. It seemed to be this fortress that nobody could ever capture. It was placed in a, in a situation and in a geographic location that, that nobody could conquer it, or so they thought. The fortress had an obvious weak spot, however, which defenders guarded, but because another spot was apparently protected by its steepest and, uh, steepness and impregnability, no sentries were ever posted at that spot. An opportune time, um, this attacking army sent a small band up that unguarded slope that was seemingly insurmountable, and they surprised the garrison into surrender. You see, where the castle was strong, there it was weak. Where you think you're the strongest, be very careful, because it may be just there you've let your guard down, and you could be your weakest. Samson's great strength caused him to let down his guard. Samson's, Samson's greatest ability caused him to lose sight and focus of what really mattered. And this is what happens when we allow pride to take over our lives. When pride takes over, we lose sight of the most important things in life. When pride takes over, we lose the ability to reason through things with clarity. When pride takes over, we give in to the lies and the deceit that will ultimately catch up with us. When pride takes over, we tell lies and foster deceit that for a time keeps us on top of things, but where there is a false foundation built on deceit, eventually the bottom will fall out. Love is not boastful or proud. If it is, then it's not even love. Where pride exists, love cannot. Like Samson, when pride rules our hearts, there's no place for anything else but our own desires and our own interests. Don't let pride rule your heart anymore. If, you, if you've been illuminated to that point today, and everybody else is the problem in your life, and you don't accept responsibility or ownership for your own actions, you have a problem with pride. If everybody else is wrong and you're always right, chances are you have a problem with pride. What are you going to do with that? Take a 
honest, hard, long look at yourself and allow God to reveal to you areas in your life where you may have allowed pride to rule you. And come to this place where you say, God, I'm sorry. I repent of the pride and the boastfulness in my life that has not only separated me from others, it separated me from you. Help me to repent and to release that pride to you and to walk in humility with you. If that's your prayer or your heart today, our altars are open. You can come and have someone pray with you to my right, your left, or if you want to pray alone, you come to my left, your right. Nothing magical about these pieces of furniture up here, but there's something about stepping out and taking action. As our worship team comes forward today to close this out, are you like Samson? Or are you like Jesus? Philippians chapter 2. Though Jesus was God, he didn't see equality with God as something to be attained. Jesus could have walked around with a chip on his shoulder the whole time. I'm God in the flesh. What are you going to do about it? But he didn't. He walked around washing his disciples' feet touching lepers, raising dead bodies from the grave. The God of heaven, the perfect God of heaven, stepped into humanity as Jesus. He humbled himself even to the point of the cross. And at that name, Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Heavenly Father, this day, I know we all wrestle with pride to some degree and to some level. We don't ever like to be wrong. But God, we find ourselves struggling with those things, with different things. There's some of us here, God, that skirt this line with sin. We just we go right up to the edge of it thinking we're in the safe zone only to find ourselves in trouble. And then we try to hide that from other people. And we think we're trying to hide it from you, but we can't. Father, we repent of those things today. We ask your forgiveness and we surrender our pride, our boastfulness to you. Help us to walk in the center of your will rather than on the edges of it to see how close we can get without messing up. Change our hearts, transform our minds. Renew our spirits, I pray. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. 
Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.